Uh, good morning, family. So good to have you out. Thank you for making our family worship day a priority in your life. We're going to be uh, talking about uh, generosity today. And then next week, we're going to be talking about how we can be generous in our service in terms of being involved in ministries. And, and the week after that, we're going to have a vision message that I'll be teaching. We look forward to 2016. Then after that, we're going to start a series called Struggles, uh, talking about rest and contentment and relationships, and it'll be a great service to bring your friends out to. As I was uh, reflecting upon this week's message, I thought of the uh, Syrian refugees. The Syrian refugees, of course, uh, are in great need. It was 2012 when the Civil War broke out there. And four million refugees have left Syria. Four million pouring into Europe. They have very few possessions, one of the things that they can carry. And here is the most astounding statistic. Fifty percent of them are children. Fifty percent. Friends, we need to be praying uh, for these people. I encourage you to give to uh, Converge Worldwide. In fact, Converge Worldwide uh, just gave $10,000 to refugees in uh, Syria. They bought them wheelchairs, all different types of things, and they bought them enough food for a month. 550 people. So just take a moment and reflect upon uh, these pictures and also the question that's asked. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why do I have so much? Have you ever just sit there working through your finances and saying, it's incredible. Why do I have so much? Why me? Because, you see, of course, one of us could have been a refugee. God could have was in Syria. We grew up there. and I mean, these refugees are just like us. They love their families. They have hopes and dreams. Right now they're just trying to survive. They want their children to have a better life. They're just like us. And, and God loves them just as He much loves you and me. And they need the Gospel like we need the Gospel. So many times as we watch 
news reports. It's easy just to say, yeah, that's a problem. Instead of really thinking, this is really a problem. And how is this going to impact my life and how I live? Am I going to give to these refugees and encourage them in that way? You see, the common question here is, why don't I have enough, right? I want more. Why don't I have enough? What's the problem here? That's a common question, of course, that's throughout our culture, as our culture teaches us to do everything for ourselves and to buy everything we want. And it's the wrong question. It's just the wrong question. Up here, I have a, a yellow ball. And this represents our lives. This represents our lives right here. And this yarn, what does that represent? What? What? Eternity, exactly. Of course. So you look at how small this ball is compared to the yarn. And you think, you know, I should be thinking about eternity more. (laughs) Right? Because... Really, if you followed this ball, or excuse me, the yarn, and you went all around the world from the United States to North Africa, India, China, all the way around again, would that be the end of eternity? No, it would go round and round and round and round. Friends, this is so important to understand as we talk about discipleship. This is the process of sanctification, of of God making us more holy as we live this life. The goal is for us to have an eternal perspective. To be preparing for eternity. Laying up treasures. Doing everything based around what's going to happen in eternity Instead of what's going to happen here on earth, with our selfishness and encouragement from others, we say it's all about right now. This is my life. And a lot of people just kind of say, well, eternity, I'm going there, whatever. But they're not as excited as they should be. So we just have to continue to talk about these issues as we get the right type of perspective. The earthly mindset is, why don't I have more? The eternal mindset is, why do I have so much? I mean, here, I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ died for you, obviously, and, and you accepted that free gift of salvation. Well, you got everything you need, right? You live this life, and then you go into eternity. And so God tells us to always have an eternal mindset in everything we do. And we need the Holy Spirit's power for that because it's hard. <laughs> we go to that earthly mindset uh, so quickly. Let's talk about some artificial needs that we have. Do you really need the newest phone? I mean, really. Do you need the newest phone? Is Jody... Martel here works at Verizon. He takes care of me too, you know. And 
You need the newest phone there, Jody. No, no. You need to upgrade your phone every year? Really? Are you that bored with it? I mean, I don't know how old my phone is. I think it's like two and a half years old. And Oh, no, I just got a new one. That's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just got a new one because they said it would be cheaper for me to buy a new one. Amen. <laughs> oh, flip phone. Oh, you know where the extra goes. <laughs> how about the most style or extravagant vacations? Now, none of these things are inherently wrong. But if you're being more generous to these particular items or experiences and not generous toward God, that's where things go awry. How about the most stylish clothes? Are you the type of person that always has to have a new wardrobe every year and you love to go shopping and nothing wrong with that, but you really have to really have to think about your heart. Where's your heart at? Do you really need all those new clothes? How about jumbotrons in our living rooms? Hey, guys, I don't know what the future is going to be like. I mean, I walk into all kinds of homes and I see these huge TVs. And they're about as big as they get. It's kind of embarrassing when you walk into a room and the TV is too big for the room. It's not you know, scaled properly. But people just want bigger and bigger, especially for the Super Bowl, Right? I don't know what we're going to do in the future. We're going to have a surround type of experience in one of our rooms. We're going to have personal uh, theaters. <laughs> How about cable TV? Do you need cable TV? Not really. It's nice to have, but you don't need it. How about a car that is expensive? Do you need to buy a new car? Now, sometimes that can be a good strategy. Usually, though, of course, depreciation... Uh, when it drives off, you get off a lot. Do you need a really nice car? I mean, cars are pretty simple and basic. I mean, right? Buy a good car for ten thousand dollars. So why is it that you spend more than that? Much more than that sometimes. That's an artificial need. You think, well, I've got to have one like that because I'll get back to that. But I've got to have one like that. And uh, we start to rationalize. How about the most beautiful furniture or kitchen or bathroom? Those are artificial needs, right? We can live life without that new stuff. In Luke 12, 13 through 14, Jesus Christ was teaching. And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Now, Jesus was a rabbi, so he had the legal authority to settle their dispute. But Jesus could read their hearts. They knew that this was out of greed that they're asking. So he went on to make this point in Luke 12, 15. And he said to them, take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You ever struggle with envy? What other people have and say, why can't I have that? 
Why is my life not like theirs? And so on and so on it goes. It used to be easier years ago. Because what do we say? You got to keep up with who? The Joneses, right? Your neighbor. So back in that day, you only had really several people to compare your life to. Your friends, your neighbors, people at church. But now, you've got Facebook. You've got hundreds and hundreds of families to compare your life to. And they're always posting their new stuff and their big vacations and how happy they are. Again, nothing wrong with that per se. I'm not putting it down. But here's the problem. If you're on Facebook and you struggle with envy, you better shut it down. You just better shut it down. If you cannot look at other people's experiences and not have any envy in your heart, that's okay. But so many people are looking at Facebook and saying, why, why, why? Don't do something that leads you into sin, right? Yeah, it's so true. Life does not consist with the abundance of possessions. Look at the seven deadly sins. This is interesting. The BBC did a study, did a survey of Brits, and they listed the seven deadly sins, and they said, okay, now, which one have you committed, and which one have you committed in the last month? So they said, oh, well, you know, yeah, pride, sloth, anger, loss, envy, gluttony. But you know what the lowest one was in terms of what people struggle with? Greed. Very few people wrote down that they had any greed in the past month. <laughs> uh, Zygod did a survey of uh, one of the biggest problems we have in the United States today. And 78% of the, peop- of the people said greed. And poverty came in second. Seventy-eight percent of the people said that. But then when they were asked, are you greedy? Oh, of course not. <laughs> it's, in the, it's in the teens of people who would actually admit to greed. Why is that? Well, friends, you've got to remember how sinful our hearts are. That They really are incredibly sinful And so what we do over the years is we we build up rationalizations about why we're not greedy. And we spend more and more money and say, well, I'm not living that kind of guy's life. I'm not throwing my money away. This is just kind of like the basic needs, really the desires, right? And we have such a mind pattern, a sinful mind pattern, that, hey, I should have the best. I should have more and more. That we don't even see it as a sin. And we've got to call it out. You've got to call it out in yourselves. And, again, you're not naturally going to do that. Let me see if I'm greedy or not. <laughs> but that's what God calls us to do as we interface with His Word. He brings up a lot of challenges like that. To look into our... Our soul. Oh, 
some of the examples of greed. Steven Spielberg has a boat, well, yacht, excuse me. He has a yacht, and it's called the Seven Seas, and it costs $184 million. $184 million. Well, he said that he's grown out of that one. He needs a bigger one. So now they're making him a $250 million boat that has 18 more feet to it. <laughs> Give me a break, right? But then, wait. Now, he has a lot of money. Think about ourselves. You know, do we ever you know, upgrade when we don't need to upgrade in our lives in different areas? Do we ever get tired of something and they spend more money on something newer? Well, yeah. Spielberg has more money. There was a, uh, a high-profile divorce last year. And <laughs> what the woman wanted from the settlement was $1 million a month. $1 million a month. Can you imagine that? She wanted 70000 for food. That's per month. She wanted $167,000 a month for vacations. <laughs> Man, but this is the best one. I was reading this illustration and it said that she wanted $2,000 for stationary clips. It's a stationary clip. So I looked it up and this is a stationary clip. He wants $2,000 a month for stationary clips. Hey, are there designer clips that I don't know about out there? Raise your hand if you know about that. I've never seen one before. We've got a bunch of these in the office and I can't imagine you buying these, right? But again, even this woman can justify in her mind that she needs a million dollars a month because that's a lifestyle that she is used to. It's just like us. I just buy the regular ones. Let's uh, restart that over again. I'm sorry. How you doing? You know, I'm going to open a can of worms with this one, I think. All right? This one here is the big enchilada, amigos. All right? So it's called you're the money have to rant. forgive me in advance if, if this stings a little. You're going, to have to, you're going to have to cut me a little slack if this convicts or challenges you because I'd never want to do that. No, what I'm about to talk about is things people don't like to talk about. It goes up there with religion and politics. It's one of those things you don't talk about if all you want to do is make friends. No. This one here, this is a little different because the love of this thing, the love of it, you know what I'm saying, is the root of all kinds of evil. But on the other hand, without it, you can't do much good. All right? You cracked the code yet? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, money, M-O-N-E-Y. Yeah, the almighty dollar, the cash, the cabbage, the greenbacks, the gravy, the loot, the moolah, whatever you want to call it. You know what I'm saying? I got my own personal favorite, the dead presidents. The higher number on the dollar bill, the goofier the president, the more hands want to touch it. Go figure. You know what? We ask a lot of questions about these presidential papers, don't we? Yeah, how are we going to spend it? How am I going to use it? My own personal favorite? Huh? Huh? 
How am I going to act like I don't have any so my relatives don't bother me anymore? Or how am I going to miss the offering plate every time it passes by? And, of course, the dominant Republican question, how am I going to invest and how do I keep it from the IRS? Yeah, money. The big, big question. But there's one question we always leave out. At least I do. Whose is it? I mean, whose money is it really? That is the million-dollar question, pardon the pun, right? I know some might say, hey, it's my money because I work hard with these hands. Yeah? Who gave you the hands, buddy? All right, you're smarter than some who gave you the brains. You're driven who gave you the ambition. Right, I know you can arrange a lot of things on your own, but you can't tell me you arranged your birthplace, who your parents were, who your friends are going to be, what schools you went to, the technology that was going to be there, the people that came before you to pave the way, the people are here now. The light and the load? Ah, you didn't arrange that, did you? Should I go on? No, 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 no. I don't think so. You know, I suppose all I'm trying to say is this, people. All right? I got a big wake-up call last year. I got my kid an Xbox 360. I threw it on the floor. Boom, that's yours. I got every possible, imaginable accessory that there is. Everyone you can think of. The cordless, wireless, bang-bang, the flip-flop, the yip-yap. Everything you could possibly think of. Even through an HD plasma so everybody could see it beautifully. A couple of dozen games and said, hey, we're off to a good start. One day I come home and I said, hey, son, you mind if I play the game? You're only sitting there over in the corner. Maybe Dad can give it a shot. You know what he says to me? No, that's mine. Wait your turn. Needless to say, I did a 180 on the 360. And now that sucker sits comfortably in my own personal home theater. And I'm the only one with the key. You know why? Because everything in that baby is mine. <laughs> I love that when I saw that. I had to show it to you. Because that uh, kind of speaks of the type of man that we're going to be studying a little bit about in a parable that Jesus taught. We're looking Luke 12, 16 through 17. And it says, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. So this soil was unbelievable. Everything he threw at it just grew abundantly. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops. Now, what is the real question he's asking? I'm sure he's living comfortably on a good income from his crops. What is he saying? He's saying, what am I supposed to do with my extra? Say again. What am I supposed to do with my extra? One more time. What am I supposed to do with my extra? That is the key question. That we all have to answer. Because God has given us extra. And you say, well, God hasn't given me extra. And, well, yeah, some people are hurting. We're praying for them. But most of us have... <laughs> yeah. What happens is, is that uh, our money, or excuse me, our lifestyle chases, chases after our money. Right? So what happens when you get a promotion at work or you get a new job with more financial resources? What are you going to do with that extra? And what do most people say? Well, I'm going to upgrade. I'm going to live a better life. I'm going to move on up, one might say, because that's what that extra is for. It's for me. I deserve it. It's not for you. It's for God. And He wants you to listen to Him in terms of how you manage that extra because that extra is going to impact eternity. Last week we talked about the fact that we lay up treasures in heaven 
So what is that? That doesn't really motivate people a lot. Well, treasures are rewards. So again, in heaven, certain of us, whoever will have certain rewards because of how they serve God here on earth. Now, everybody's going to be joyful and happy, but that person might be a little more joyful (laughs) or have a leadership position. So there's a whole theology of rewards, like 40 different motivations to be holy in Scripture. And that's one of them. God knows how we operate. We like rewards, right? Oh, that's so selfish. Well, I mean, I said it, (laughs) right? So so we want to live for eternity simply because we want to glorify God. We want to invest our extra down here, uh, but also for some of those rewards. So that is his answer. And then he came up with what he was going to do with his extra. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat and drink and be merry. He achieved the Jewish dream, right? He had everything. He just sit back and enjoy life because that's what his extra was for. It was for him. Well, college freshmen have been asked about what their goal is in life. And back in 1967, being rich, 42%. In 2005, 85%. How about meaning and purpose in life? 74% said that was important to them in 67, and now only 45%. Don't, I don't need a philosophy of life. Just give me some cash. I read another illustration about, uh, uh, let's see, uh, seniors in high school. And they were asked, what do you want out of life? And they said, fortune, money, and fame. What are we raising here? Okay? What are all these shows teaching our children that the way to really experience life, you've got to have a lot of money. And hey, it would be great to have some fame as well. And how many... <laughs> Who's that going to happen to? What percentage of students, right? That's why it's so important that we remind ourselves of this and teach our kids. You know, God cares about us so much. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. God takes care of them. Oh, how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? You are of incredible value. Because if you made that decision to follow Jesus, you are a Christ follower. You're a child of God. What kind of bird is this? A starling. The starling is my favorite bird. I just love the starlings. I'm driving down <laughs> Miller Road on the way to work, and all of a sudden this artistic <laughs> scene comes, and all these, these birds are flying in perfect coordination, and they change shapes and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just delighted. I'll pull over and park and watch them, right? All of a sudden they'll burst out of some trees as you're driving by. Oh, wow. Maybe I like starlings like me. Starling support group. 
Come on, guys. you got to like starlings, right? Look here. Those are starlings. That's a real picture. How many starlings are in that picture? Who knows? <laughs> 100,000? I have no idea. There's quite a few of them. You see, God knows those starlings. God knows each individual starling. I don't know if He names them. I'm not sure. But He knows when they were born. And He knows when they're going to die. And He knows everything that's going to happen to them. Every starling in that bunch. He knows that. And He provides food for them through His plan that He put together in creation. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, if He cares about all those starlings, how much more do you think He cares about you if you're a child of God? He cares about you incredibly. And that's about having an eternal mindset realizing, okay, God's going to provide for me. I'm going to trust in Him. And therefore, I can be more generous with what I have. Is God is my Father. Luke twelve twenty. This is what God had to say about the farmer. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So that's the ultimate question. Man, you're dying tonight. And where is all your grain going? Right? One of your kids. I mean, you're not taking anything with you. He certainly wasn't going to heaven, right? He made the wrong decision about the extra. And he was a fool. You know, we all act foolishly when we sin. But there's some people who really... <laughs> you can see a lot of foolishness. And it's okay to think about a person as a fool. I don't want to say that to them. But again, they're foolish. And if they don't know the Lord, well then... You know, they don't know the power and the relationship you can have with Christ. As I read through Proverbs, I think about who's a fool? Well, I'm a fool sometimes, right? You know, we've got to recognize what sin is. Whose will they be? Verse 21, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, and not, is not rich toward God. He's talking about the farmer. And this is what he says about him. This farmer is the one who lays treasure up for himself and is not rich toward God. You know, we talk about you know, money and God. You can't serve them both, at the both time. At the same time, that is. That's true. That's true. So the question for all of us who are Christ followers is how much or how generous are we toward God with all the extra that He's given us. Because that's what God wants. He wants us to be rich toward Him. He wants us to reflect back everything He's given us by being generous to Him, by being generous to people in need, being generous to organizations that are spreading the Gospel. Later in the chapter, he talks to them and he says, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. 
Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Similar to the passage in Matthew uh, chapter 6. So, take God's money bags and put that storage in heaven. Because you see, friend, every dollar that you give to God enables in our church for us to do ministry. And the more generous you are, the more sacrificial you are, the more ministry we can do. So that's where we need to, to realize our responsibility. Proverbs 22.9 Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Have you had a bountiful eye? The nature of your eye? Again, in the Jewish thought, the eye uh, was really the, the uh, opening to the soul. And it talks about the eye being clouded. That's when, of course, we're not being generous, not uh, obeying God. But again, it says, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Do you have a bountiful eye? Just think about this last week. Who are you generous to? The last month. Do you remember a time when you either, either helped a person and sacrificed your time and energy? Or when you gave something to someone who had a financial need? Think about that. Can you remember, remember any occasions like that? Now, if you can't, maybe just a few, I want to encourage you to to do something this week if you're led to do it. And that is to be generous toward an individual. Be generous with your money. Be generous with your time and energy. Think about that. How could you be generous? I'm asking you right now because you'll probably forget about it if I don't say it right now. In fact, write this down in your... Your message notes, right? Because that's that's a whole idea of us being here and me preaching is to inspire you through the Holy Spirit to become more like Jesus Christ. Now, most Americans, this is their giving pattern. They give spontaneously whenever they feel like it. When they go past a Salvation Army kettle, when they uh, get a call from an organization they're well aware of, or Go fund me account, that type of thing. Whenever the, the feeling comes over them, it's not intentional giving. It's kind of like accidental giving, <laughs> right? Whenever it comes up. And they give sporadically. So they don't give a lot. Remember, the average American gives 3.1% to charity, and they give sparingly. Well, friends, as a child of God, You've got a new way to approach your giving. First of all, as we've talked about in this series, it's a priority. It's a priority. You put God first. You pay Him first. You don't don't want to pay Visa. They're thieves, right? They're not trying to do you a favor. They're trying to get as much money out of you as they can. But you pay God first. You recognize them as the Israelites did with the firstborn. 
and the first fruits. The first thing you do is you give to God to say, God, you are the source of all things. And I want to thank you first because you entrusted this to me. The second thing is that Christians should be percentage givers. Why is that important? Well, because if your income grows, you want to continue to give the same or more toward God. Now, last week, uh, we talked about the tithes. That's 10% of your income. But again, whatever God leads you to do, and then you want to become a progressive giver. You want to give more and more and more as God blesses you. Randy Elkhorn said, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. I know some of you are thinking, oh, he just wants money for the church. That's not true. What I want is blessings for your life. And I'm your cheerleader. I'm the one who's coming alongside you saying, this is what the Word of God says. And I know if you do it, you're going to be blessed. Good things are going to happen. Not necessarily financial blessings, that's a possibility, but God is going to bring good things into your life. It's all God's money. And the question is, what are you going to do with the extra? This is the uh, passage we talked about last week. Bring the full tithe, the 10%, into the storehouse. So God's plan is first you bring it into Springbrook, if you attend here. That's a storehouse. And if you want to give to other ministries, that's beyond the tithe. But again, that's the way God designed things, right? How do we have money to do ministry? It's from generous people who've experienced the power and the transforming love of God. That's how we do ministry. So into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more end. God never says test him, only in this situation. He's saying, I know this is hard for you guys, but I want you to honor me with a tithe. And I believe that's kind of the, the floor of giving. And you move up from there. I want to make one thing clear. If you join Springbrook, you don't have to be tithing. Of course, we encourage you grow to a tithe, but... At the same time, you don't have to be tithing. I've heard that before, so I just want to dispel that. I just want you to grow in your giving. All right? But again, what we did last week was we said, if you want to try, try this out, we're going to ask you to tithe for three months, and if things don't work out, if it leaves you in some type of financial uh, distress, we'll give the money back to you. It's God's guarantee. And we've done this for years, and nobody's asked for their money back. In fact, last week we had eight people who said, I want to become a tither. We had six people who say, I want to move to being a liberal giver, giving more than the tithe. Again, if you still like to do that, you can. Just write a note and put it in the offering basket in the back. Now, giving trends in churches... Now, 15% of the households give 10% or more. 
20% of households give 5% or more. 15% of households give 3% or more. 50% of households give 2% or more. And friends, this mirrors our church. It has for years. Don't you want to grow? Don't you want to experience God's blessing? Well, I have something for you. And that is the 3% giving challenge. <laughs> that means whatever you're giving to God now, you figure out what that percentage is, and then you grow it by 3%. The critical thing is you have to sacrifice in order to make it meaningful. You just, oh, i got some extra money to give. No, no, no. There has to be some sacrifice involved in saying, God, you are the most important person in my life. And I'm going to give to you first, and I give to you generously. So, I would just ask you guys this week to go home and if you're a couple, maybe get together and talk about it and say, you know, the last several weeks we've been hearing about generosity. Now, what has God said to you about it? And have a conversation about it. And what, what do you think we should do? And then pray to God about it. Lord, what percentage do you want us to give? Matthew, oh. We're going to have uh, Joe and Heather Hikes come out at this time. And they're going to tell you an amazing story of God's faithfulness. Good morning. Good morning. Ten years ago, we found ourselves in a very difficult financial position. We were deep in debt and late on our bills. It was during that time that God convicted us that we needed to be more focused on being the financial stewards he calls us to be. We needed to let go, open our hands, and first give to him what he deserves. Up until that time, we had not been truly tithing, but giving here and there sporadically. Whatever was in Joe's wallet minus lunch money is what was put in the offering basket. We believe that God was saying that our first step out of financial chaos was to start giving a set amount consistently. The amount we settled on was not near the 10% that we wanted it to be, but we started to consistently give that same amount each week. We decided that no matter what, we would give that first and then begin to aggressively attack our debt. Second Corinthians 8.12 says, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Within a year of our change of heart, and with a desire to give generously, we slowly reached our initial 10% tithing goal. We made sure that 10% of any income, paychecks, tax refund, bonuses, etc., was the first check we wrote each pay period. Over the next six years, with God's blessings and perseverance, we slowly climbed out of debt. As the debt decreased, we began to look for more ways to raise our level of giving. It excited us to find additional ways to give more, as God had been providing so immensely. We knew that God had blessings for us if we were only willing to give. 
2 Corinthians 9.7 states, Each man should give what he has decided to give in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. A couple years ago when Springbrook announced the HeartStrong campaign, we saw an opportunity. After prayerful consideration, we decided that God was calling us to commit to an amount that stretched our current budget. We were actually stunned by how happy we were to write that check each month, even on top of our normal tithe. Each month was a struggle, but we made sure we continued our 10% tithe, paid our monthly commitment to HeartStrong, and continued to reduce our debt. By God's grace, near the end of 2012, we had eliminated all of our debt except our mortgage. (laughs) We had been routinely paying extra on our mortgage payments to reduce the principal and save on interest, but we felt that we still needed to do more to be debt-free. Proverbs 22.7 says, "The The borrower is servant to the lender. Our feeling was that in order to fully serve Christ, we needed to escape from being a servant to our lender. It was time to sell our large house and downsize to a smaller townhouse. That way we could free up more resources to increase our giving. Through extraordinary circumstances and God's intervention, we were able to sell quickly and for the amount that we wanted. In April of 2013, we sold our house and moved into a new townhouse. Sometimes we find that God has plans that we don't understand. Six months later, Joe was laid off from his 15-year career at AT AT&T. He accepted a generous severance package, and we prayed that the Lord would provide for our future. The first decision we made was to tithe off the severance package. Our second decision was to use money from the severance package to completely fulfill our heartstrong commitment. Regardless of what would happen in the future, we were happy to be able to fulfill our commitment. Matthew 6, 19-20 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. We continue to be excited about how the Lord will lead us in our giving. We also wait expectantly to see what he has in store for our family. Finances for us have been very tight in the past few months, and we struggle to meet our needs. Joe has picked up work here and there, as he can, and is grateful for an increase in hours here at the church as the facilities director. I am continuing to seek employment, and I trust that God will provide the right opportunity at the right time. The following verse expresses our prayers. Proverbs 30, uh, 79. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Keep me neither, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. 
Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Through it all, our response to God's call for stewardship is that we will first joyfully tithe off any income we receive. We are convinced through God's past faithfulness that he will provide for our daily needs. Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you uh, for Joe and Heather. I've known them for a long time and I've always been amazed at their faithfulness and giving as they talked about it and, and especially how you prepared them for this downturn. And they've been faithful. So they know even more than other people that God is going to be faithful to them because they have been faithful to Him. And being generous, I pray that you would provide the right type of jobs. I pray uh, that you would encourage them. And thank you so much for the example they are to us. In Christ's name, amen.